You are listening to Mountain Bike Radio. Thanks for tuning in to the Ride Fat Bike Show on Mountain Bike Radio. Today I am your host, Ben Welnick, and with me is Jeff Oatley, winner of the Ride to Nome on uh, this year's Iditarod Trail Invitational. We're going to get you know get a little bit of history of Jeff, um, and then we're going to talk about the race. You can read about you know the, the details of bike and all the gear and all that kind of stuff, which we'll touch on a little bit, but I kind of want to get his thoughts as far as you know what it's like to race that several times and to uh to do it this year with the conditions the way they were and as fast as the race was so jeff thank you for joining me thanks a lot for having me ben yeah no problem sounds like you're getting back into into motion yeah yeah i'm getting back on the bike a little bit but no no pressure and nothing serious right now just uh just some easy spins and kind of get the body moving again let's back up um, I want to give people an idea because you have a pretty pretty strong endurance background. So I kind of want to give people an idea of when did you start, well, first in the mountain biking, I guess, and then, um, you know, when did you take the jump from, like, just starting to doing endurance events? Um, I, I've been mountain biking since uh, about 88 or 90, somewhere in there. Um and I was living in Alabama at the time and, uh, riding, riding, uh, motocross motorcycles and, uh, just heard about mountain bikes and, and, uh, started, started riding them down there at that time. And was probably one of the, one of uh, just a small handful of people that were riding mountain bikes in that area at that time. And, uh, just kind of transitioned from that to wanting to race and racing mountain bikes and, and, uh, you know, probably by the mid '90s, I was uh, uh, getting more interested in, in longer rides, and uh, did 24 hours of Moab on some teams, and uh, then did the Leadville 100 a couple of times, and just kind of kept on growing, going from there, and and pushing my own personal limits, um, bit by bit, I guess over the years. Okay, when did uh, so you moved? You've been you're from Michigan, right? And you moved I to. Am. Alabama. Um, when did you take the jump? When did you move up to Alaska? I uh, moved up here in 2000. Um, was just kind of ready, ready for a change. I'd been to Alaska once on a big backpack and then a uh, hiking trip with my brother and another friend. I just loved it up here. And I was kind of at a point where I was a little bit burned out on, on race and I wasn't um, super passionate about my, my job at that point and uh, just kind of decided to move to Alaska. And was it a good decision right off the bat or were you kind of like, okay, I'm here and now what do I do? Uh, yeah, I think it was a good decision. I mean, it's, it certainly turned out great. Um, you know, it's really shaped, shaped my life and, and who I am. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm not one to, uh, (laughs) to think, well, I made a bad decision. I, uh, I, I want to do over on that. I just kind of, you know, you always make the best of it and turn turn everything into the best it can be. So mm-hmm. um, it worked out great for me. I love Alaska. Cool. So let's uh, let's get to the the fat bike discussion. When did you start getting on uh, riding regular? I, I'm assuming as soon as you got up there, you're like, okay, I got you know half the year that I need to figure out what I'm going to do. 
Um, is that, was it just natural? Like, okay, I need something that I can ride all year or what, how did that start? Um, you know, I, I was a fan of the, I did a sport long before I moved up here and I'd read everything I could find about it. And it was just kind of a, a dream and kind of in the back of my head that I'm going to do that one day. And so I moved up here thinking right away, I'm going to do, I'm going to do the, I did a sport. There was no, I did a rod trail invitational at that point. It was just, I did a sport. And, and that was uh, how many miles was that? Like 130 or something at that point? At that at that time, I think there was a 130 and a 350. And, uh, um, you know, maybe maybe just the 130 when I first started really following her. It might have been even 160 at that time. It's had a bunch of different route versions. Um, and uh, so I got here in 2000, and I was in Fairbanks, which is sort of interior Alaska. It's kind of notoriously cold. And I just realized right off the bat that I'm I was I wasn't ready to uh take on a ride um like that until I figured out what I was doing to keep myself alive and functional in, you know, extreme cold. And so I didn't actually do the race until two thousand two. Um but I've kind of been and then there was a couple of years after that where I didn't do it until two thousand five and it was the I did a ride of trail invitational by the time I did it again in okay. Okay. And, and, you know, as far as back then, I mean, what did you do in 2002 as far as a, a bike and to keep yourself warm? Because, you know, now people, a ton of people have gotten into it, uh, both winter riding and, you know, getting on fat bikes. Um, so they don't know any different, but what did you do back in 2002 to, to keep yourself going and, uh, riding, I guess. It's, um, God, it's changed so much since then. Um, in 2000, you know, when I came up here in 2000, 2001, 2002, when I was trying to figure things out, um, you know, it's still basically the same in that you're just trying, you're experimenting, trying to find what works for you. And I'm doing a lot of rides in Fairbanks where it's minus 20, minus 30, minus 40. And, uh, and I, I was just trying different clothing, different layers. You know, my bike was just, it was the same same bike i was racing on dirt in colorado before i came up here just with snow cats and a and a 2.4 inch tire on it it wasn't it wasn't fat bikes then um but the clothing was the thing to get dialed in and and uh and you you know i made some clothing and i modified some clothing and you know would buy summer shoes that were several sizes too big you know like five or six sizes too big and stuff lots of socks in them and duct tape insulation over them and just trying to get creative to find ways to make it work and a lot of that's gotten easier a lot of the there's a lot of stuff available that i, I don't know that there's much that's ready for minus 40 but there's stuff that you can modify much less and uh and make work at cold temps what's the coldest you've ever ridden in oh probably like mid minus 50s okay um a trip out in the white mountains Actually, a couple of times in the White Mountains, once I was out there with Pete Passinger, and it dropped from 35 below to probably 55 or 58 below. Um, and then, luckily for us, or it warmed back up over the course of the next several hours. And as we climb up around here, you get a lot of temperature variation with the elevation. Okay. Well, I can imagine that cold air probably sinks pretty damn quick. Yes, it does. Yeah. <laughs> Um, 
So is, you know, before we dig into the race, I'm curious about this cold weather. Is there any point during like that trip when it got to that, you know, negative fifties where you're like, Oh shit, like this is serious. I mean, you're used to doing 20 below 30 below but when it hits that, are you like, okay, cool. Or are you like, Holy cow, you know, I hope it doesn't get any colder. Um, you know, I don't think it, I don't remember it being a crisis situation okay. at all. Okay. Um, I've done a lot of rides around Fairbanks, closer to Fairbanks where it's, you know, it's minus 50, you know, okay. or low minus forties. Yeah. Um, and if you're good, you know, if you're, if you're good at that and you can stay warm at that, you'll at least survive, you know, 10 or 15 degrees colder than that. Okay. Huh. That'd be something hit 70, you know, 60, 70 below. Jeez. So, and I've, I've never seen anything close to, you know, close to that in this yeah, area. Yeah. Um, so, so I don't, I don't. So you're pretty confident as far as conditions. You can pretty much handle anything at this point. I can handle temperatures. You know, I just spent some time on the coast in in, uh, 30, maybe 40 mile an hour winds, and winds add a whole lot to the equation. Okay. Yeah, and actually in in the article that Neil did on uh, bikepackersmagazine.com, you mentioned wind, and we'll get to that in a a few minutes. Um, We're talking about the race. Um, so this year, let's, let's get to this year's, uh, ITI. I want to, you know, I was curious because, you know, a lot of us back at our houses watching what's going on and you guys were flying and, you know, I want to get your perspective because people are like, oh, conditions, you know, whatever. And, you know, there's, there's always a, always talk of how it's going. So I want to get a, you know, I wanted to get a firsthand, uh, perspective, um, so let's take it from your perspective, um, going into it, you know, did you have, you know, what did you think going into it? Did you think, okay, I'm gunning for this, I'm gunning for this, or did you, do you kind of just approach it like, um, you know, here's, here's what works for me. Here's what I'm going to do. And if something, you know, I kind of just play it by ear as I go and adjust, how do you do it? Um, well, I mean, it's a little different for me this year in that my focus was Nome, not McGrath. And and typically, not typically, I'd only raced to McGrath before. And uh, and you know, I've gotten gotten to the point after a lot of years of doing this that I can I can focus on racing to McGrath. It's not um, it's not uh, when you're new to the race. You know, a worthy goal is to get to McGrath. And, and actually, even when you're a veteran of the race, that's a worthy goal is, is to get to McGrath because it can be incredibly hard just to get to McGrath. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't I don't ever go into the race thinking like, you know, I'm going to go fast and I'm, I'm going to be here at this time or there at the, that time. You just can't do that with this race because it's it's condition driven. Everything that happens out there is driven by the conditions. Um, anybody that's been out there more than a couple of years can you know, and, and spent, you know, 12 or 24 or 36 hours stuck in one place because of a snowstorm or something can tell you that um, you can't get too wrapped up in how fast you want to go because you'll be disappointed. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, I keep, there's kind of a theme I've been talking to, you know, the endurance type of people. And, you know, there's a lot of people that say, hey, I'm going to do this. It's on my checklist of things to do, right? And I'm trying to drive home the point that it's not just a checklist thing. 
like, like you mentioned, like you spent, you know, you're just out in it every day. That's a normal thing to have 20, 30 below. Um, so I'm kind of trying to, with guests, you know, just drive home the point that it's not just something you check off. Like even for a veteran like you, who's done it, how many times have you done this race? Both to McGrath um, and I've done, the, I've done the ITI 10 times and, right. uh, and then yeah, I did a sport once before that. Okay. So even for somebody that's done 10 times and one for the did a sport, it's still an accomplishment yeah. to get the McGrath and you adjust accordingly. So, um, yeah. So this year, you know, going into it with conditions, what were they looking like? You know, what were you thinking with, let's say a week or two out looking at the conditions? What were your thoughts then? Um, to be honest with you, I pay zero attention to the conditions. Okay. Like two weeks out. Um, Bill, Bill Merchant, the race director, will send out updates, trail updates, weather updates. Um, and, and I just don't pay any attention to that because it does change a lot and it does change rapidly up here at that time of year. And, and even, even a couple of days before the race, you're getting trail reports and I'm, I kind of discount them, you know, not that they're inaccurate, just that they won't be accurate when we get there or they may not be. So you can't really bank on those. Um, you know, we, we had, we've had years that were supposed to be horrible turn out to be fast. And we've had years that everybody was talking about how fast it was going to be. You end up taking forever. Um, so it's just, you just race the trail that, that, that's in front of you. Um, and that's about all you can do. Okay. That it's fair. That makes, makes sense. Just focus on what you can do. Um, so let's talk about the actual race itself. You, okay. I was reading, you know, like I said, on bikepackersmagazine.com, Neil, had, um, check it out, people, if you're listening. Um, you know, you had mentioned that you kind of got up, caught up in the race to McGrath. Talk about how that first section, section being the 350 miles, talk about that and, and what it was like, you know, having your wife out there too. I mean, I know you weren't riding necessarily together. You were kind of all you know, in there, but you, you kind of knew where she was. Right. I mean, talk about that first whole leg to McGrath. Um, you know, it's, it was, it was really interesting. It was, um, you know, I've done it a lot of times with McGrath as my goal and, uh, and, and it, it's hard to get to McGrath. It can be a pretty big effort just to get to McGrath or it can be an effort to get there fast. Um, but but from the start this year, McGrath wasn't even on my mind. It was everything was Nome. I'm going to get to Nome, and uh, and it was a little different to be doing the ride with Heather racing to McGrath because I would have loved to have just said I'm just going to stick with you um, all the way to McGrath. But she, I knew before the race that she was she was riding exceptionally well. We'd done me and her and Kevin uh, Breidenbach and and even Tim Burnson had come up for some rides and. And, um, she did all those rides with us and they were, you know, we were going out for 10 or 12 or 14, 15 hour rides and, and she was just really strong. And so I, I, I told her, I, I, my goal is, is known if you're going to go to McGrath as hard as you can, I, I don't know if I'm going to want to put out the effort to, to stay with you. But at the same time, I was a little bit, um, you know, just a little indecisive about that because I really did want to ride with her. Um, and, and the first night it was, the first night was just uncomfortable for me because I, I wanted to hold back, but I wanted to be with her 
and she was going so fast up the river. Um, at one time, it was me and Aiden Harding and Eric Peterson um, that we were all just on her wheel for, you know, it seemed like 40 or 50 miles. And I think all three of us were just like kind of hurting a little bit. She was kind of putting the hammer down on us. Um, we got to Shell Lake and I just, she wanted to leave in a hurry. It was 2 or 3 a.m. when we got there. And I just said, you just, just go ride your race. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to sleep here. I'm going to stay here for four hours, no matter what. Um, and we, we ended up meeting up and riding. I caught up with her later on. We rode, um, a big chunk of the ride from finger to, uh, Nikolai together. And it was, it was great to be with her and just watch her just, just cruising, having a great race. Um, but at the same time, in the back of my head, the whole time was like it wasn't it wasn't McGrath. McGrath was kind of really incidental to me this year because um, my my goal was known, and it it just it's just a change of perspective, you know. You get to I've gotten to McGrath nine other times and been so glad to be there and so trashed and so ready to be off the bike, and I got there this year and it was it was just I just couldn't wait to get out of there. I wanted to. <laughs> um, that wasn't my goal. That was just a little distraction um, there because there was a lot of, you know, McGrath finishers there and they're having fun and hanging out. And I wanted to celebrate, you know, my my wife's ride and Kevin's ride. Um, but my, my head wasn't into that. It was just focused on getting out of there and getting on the trail. So how were you feeling after, you know, you, you pull out of McGrath and you obviously, it sounds like you're pretty, you know, you pretty motivated and pretty feeling feeling pretty good at that point walk us through the next you know next couple hundred miles i mean the next couple days actually because you know it you know for people listening in if you're if you're not really familiar with this and you're just catching the show and wondering what the i did a rod trail invitational is it's there's two races going on it's there's a 350 miler which a lot of people did in two days three days this year and then there's a thousand mile route um so when we're talking in, you know, miles, it's more of talking in days. <laughs> so, um, yeah, take us through the next few days. How did, you know, how did that go? Was there any low points at that, you know, after kind of the, kind of the excitement left, did you keep pretty steady or were there anything that kind of got to you? Um, you know, I, I can honestly say the low, the only low point I had, um, kind of emotionally was, uh, was actually leaving McGrath. I was really glad I was leaving there with Phil Hofstetter, who's a he's a good friend of mine. We don't get to ride together that much, but we um, keep in touch with each other pretty closely. And uh, you know, Heather and those guys were back celebrating in McGrath, and we were heading out of there. I don't know, it was five or six in the evening, and uh, and there was a little bit of like. Uh, just I wish I I wish I could stay and have fun with those guys because it's so fun to you know, just tell stories from the trail with people at the finish line in McGrath. That's a huge part of the race. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm leaving there, and I, there's a little bit of, like, you know, in the back of my head, it's like, really? I'm going to go ride 700 more miles now? Like, does that seem like a good idea? Um, so I was glad to be leaving there with Phil. <laughs> okay. Because it, it, it didn't last very long. You know, okay. we, we before we got to Takana, which is only 18 miles away, we were we were having fun. We were chatting, and... Uh, the riding was good. Um, there's some some good climbing in there, and there's some fun descending. And I got back into the groove pretty fast there. 
Do you think um, do you think Phil needed that too? Needed to have you there to to, um, to get past that little you know oh man you know. Yeah, I don't know if either of us really needed it, but I think we both sort of enjoyed it. Um, okay. Like I said, we're we're good friends. We uh, we got he got to come up to Fairbanks for a ride early in the winter, and he's just a great guy to be with on the trail. He's he's tough as nails, and he's so competent. And uh, um, I just enjoy spending time with people like that on the trails. That's a big part of this race is is the you know the quality of people that you get to spend time with out there. And uh, so I don't think he needed it at all, but I don't think he minded. Um, someone to ride with for a while okay um after that i didn't really have a lot of emotional low points i had i had some points where i pushed it a little too hard um and was you know got a little loopy you know at at one or two or three in the morning after some long days but where you you feel like you're you get a little bit down because you're you feel like you're slowing way down and you're wasting time but it wasn't. Uh, it's not really a low point. It's just like uh, I got to get out of this. I got to. I got to fix this. I got to get this thing back on track. Yeah, and you were riding was, like what eighteen hours a day? Oh no. Was... Um. Yeah. I. I think. Um. I don't know how many how many hours a day I was actually on the saddle. I think I. I in the in the um. The bike packing interview that mm-hmm. I did, I, I said, uh, you know. I, I tried to sleep four hours a night, and I, I did a pretty good job of hitting four hours a night. I, I went a little bit more than that a few nights. It leaves about 20 hours a day, two hours of packing and, and uh, cooking food, taking care of yourself. You know, there's certainly some days, I was thinking about that after after I had that, there's certainly some days where I probably didn't get near 18 hours a day of riding in, but there was a couple of days where I'm pretty sure I got a good bit more than that of riding in. Um, so just a little inconsistent but probably on average, you know, close to 17 or 18 hours a day. You know, when people hear that, they think, how do you do that? Is there any any part of you, are you just a natural person that doesn't sleep much, or is that something like once you get in the zone, you're just, okay, this is the focus, and you just do it? Um, You know, certainly part of that's focus. I don't, uh, I didn't even use an alarm clock. You know, you, you're when you're racing, your mind you know, even in a 10-day race, I don't think your mind ever stops racing, even when your your body's resting. Um, and I'd find myself just constantly checking my watch, even when I was, um, you know, asleep, wake up and check, see what time it is. And it'd be, you know, I'd only be asleep for an hour and a half, something like that. It's like, okay, I can sleep for, I can sleep for three more hours. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I, I don't think I, I, I normally sleep six and a half or seven hours a night. Um, I'm certainly not the best person in that race that deals as far as dealing with sleep deprivation. I've kind of learned that through the years. Um, you know, I've raced with, uh, pretty much everybody that's been out there, like Mike Kuriak and Jay Peter Rary and Pete Bassinger. And I think all those guys are better at sleep deprivation than I am. Um, and I, I've got plenty of evidence to prove that. But <laughs> okay. but I do okay, um, you know, if I'm getting whatever sleep I need, which I, I figured needed to be about four hours for this race, um, if I'm getting that amount of sleep, I do okay at, at uh, staying on the bike and, and, and pushing a decent gear and making good time. I can be pretty efficient when I have to. Okay. And, you know, after that many years of doing that kind of stuff, it, I'm assuming that you're – you know, you have your process of packing your, you know, unpacking, packing, you have that all pretty dialed. 
Yeah. 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 So the only difference with this is that, you know, and going to Nome, you got to get more food onto your bike than you mm-hmm. do going to McGrath. Um, so I've made some changes this year just to be able to uh, carry more food. What did you do from your normal for the, the shorter route? What did you change up? Well, so at the last minute, I just I just decided to add a, um, I mean, other than having a little bit of additional clothing and, you know, more cold weather gear, I added a, a little dog backpack over my rear rack that um, just allowed me to, you know, carry, oh, I, I probably could have fit six backpacker meals in it um, in addition to whatever I could carry in my other, other places on my bike. Um which it turned out to be pretty key, and it also provided me a, a place to stick like an extra balaclava or you know some gloves that I wasn't wearing at the minute that you know but I wanted to have quick access to them. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it worked out really good. Is there anything else that you know? I guess even further back, you know, along the the many years you've been doing this, is there anything that you know you picked up? in maybe say one year where something didn't go so hot and you you learned out on the trail or are there anything like that or was it like you know you get done with the race and you're like oh i could have done that a little better was there any oh shit moments i guess in there well there's there's like every year you do it or every year that i do it i um i definitely like kind of take a mental list of like what worked well and what didn't work well and uh you know, I, I, there's never been a year where I, I haven't had some things in the this didn't work well um, category, but, you know, fortunately, over the years, that list has gotten shorter. Um, you know, most of the stuff that I, I'm doing has been, you know, I've got plenty of time and opportunity to test things out. Um, I've done lots of, you know, overnight or multi-day rides um, in, around, in and around Fairbanks, Um so it's not, I don't have to reinvent things every year, but there's always things that you're like, oh, that, that just, you know, maybe that wasn't the best choice, or maybe maybe I could do this a little bit differently. Um, All right. And, so, so then going, you know, I want to jump back to the kind of the end of the race. So going into that, it seems like you had everything was kind of kind of going, you know, smoothly. Um, you know, going in a few days, and it looked like you were jumping – Kind of leapfrogging, maybe Aiden. Um, yeah, we were we were Aiden got out of McGrath ahead of us. Um, you know, on the on the way to McGrath, I don't think either of us really cared what was going on. We just kind of wanted to get to McGrath and yeah. get that section behind us. Yeah. And he got out of McGrath three or four hours ahead of ahead of me, um, which which was fine. I wasn't, you know, I had a kind of a couple of goals in McGrath. It'd been a pretty warm race. I'd been sweating like crazy. I wanted to wash my clothes, and I wanted to get two meals before I left McGrath, and uh, you know, two good, healthy meals, and uh, and I did both of those things, and it took a little bit longer than it took him, and Phil and I spent a day and a half, kind of chasing him a little bit. You know, we we weren't really all out chasing him, but we expected to see him or find signs of him in places that we didn't. Like he didn't really use a couple of the cabins that we passed along the way and uh and then uh finally caught up with him uh the second night and then we went back and forth a little bit and ended up leaving ruby at the same time and ruby how many miles left is ruby 
Um, Ruby's pretty close to the halfway point. It's around 490 or something like that. Okay. And and then later on, it looked like he had he had he was ahead of you. I can't remember where it was on the on the trail, but um, looked like getting near the end, he was he was a little bit ahead of you. And then you seemed to jump him somewhere around the last checkpoint, right? No, he no? he was um he was uh pretty close to me at Nilato at about five fifty. Okay. And then then he wasn't ever in front of me again. Oh, that. okay, okay. So what's it? Were you thinking he was going to chase you down, or were you just thinking like, okay, let's just, I'll just keep going steady, and we'll be good. Well, I mean, it was a little bit of both. Okay. Um, Aiden, Aiden's a tough guy. He's a, yeah. he's a really good rider. Um, I, he was on a single speed, and I had a little bit of an advantage on him on the river because, I mean, fortunately for me this year, the, the river, the Yukon River. Um, which there's about 150 miles of trail when you leave Ruby that's just on the river. And it seemed to either be pretty fast or really slow riding. And and a geared bike is a little bit of an advantage in both of those conditions. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I kind of opened up a little bit of a gap on him there. Um, but, you know, you leave the river and you're right back in the hills, and he, he'd kind of shown how strong he was in the hills already. And so... On, on one level, the conditions were great, and my mindset was, at that point, from the Yukon on, was I'm just going to put the hammer down and see if I can make it to to Nome, you know, with the hammer down, or, or um, you know, hopefully implode close enough to Nome where I don't get caught. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, I wasn't, I wasn't, at least from the time checks I was getting, I wasn't going to open up a big gap on him with you know, any, any sort of quickness. He was keeping it pretty close for quite a while. Okay. Um, so it was a little bit of both. And you finally did implode, right? Before you um, got there? You know, I, I, <laughs> I had a pretty rough last, so I would say 24 hours on the trail. Um, you leave Elam and, uh, I'd been in the wind for a lot of the previous, you know, three days or at least since I hit the coast at, you know, and, uh, the wind took a toll on me and, you know, the trail was all rideable and some of it was pretty fast, which, which also took a toll. Um, just trying to push a pretty big gear, um, on a, on a heavy bike and, you know, mixed terrain and crosswinds and headwinds and a little bit of tailwind, fortunately. Um, I left Elam, you get back into some, some decent climbs there and I just didn't have much left at that point. I was, my knees were hurting really badly. My lower back was hurting. Uh, I I had I had to regroup a little bit in White Mountain just to get to the finish line. Did you do anything special, or did you just kind of, you know, take a rest, grab it some extra food? <laughs> um, I I talked to my wife in Elam, and she kind of let me know that I had a I had a decent gap at that point, which which didn't help my motivation <laughs> much to yeah. push through some some little bit of trouble I was having and uh and she said are you gonna are you gonna try to put I think from that point I was I, I don't know what the number is probably a hundred and I don't know 120 or so miles from uh from the finish line to Elam and and she said are you gonna push through the night to you know take as much time out of this as you can and I was it was just like she's got to be kidding <laughs> like I'm so trashed right now and I said no I'm not going to do that and I got to White Mountain and uh, 
and I had hoped to just sleep three hours and get out of there. And I and I got up in three hours, um, and it just leaving was just not going to happen. I was just really not with it at that point, and still in a lot of discomfort. And so I slept almost three more hours there, and uh, and took off from there, and made it. And you still ended up taking a good chunk out of the record, which I mean it's pretty. The record is really weather dependent, um, but you know people, the headlines and the discussion and the stories and all this stuff say you crushed the record. You know, and what are your thoughts on that? Just talk just a little bit. You know, from from your perspectives as far to, to let people know how much conditions play a part of that. Well, I mean, they, they, they're the biggest determining factor in the race period. Um, you know, it's, it's not, um, and the record, it is what it is. You know, it's just the nature, I guess, of this kind of thing to keep records, but, um, but it's so driven by the conditions and I just happened to get the best conditions that, that anybody's ever gotten to, um, to Nome. And, and I, and I ended up getting to Nome first in the year that gave us the best conditions. And that's really about, about all there is to that. I mean, Aiden, Aiden Harding and Phil Hofstetter took days off the same record. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they finished second and third and, uh, it's, it's just, I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess that's what gets the attention, but it's, yeah. it's certainly not the thing that um, that I I take away from the from the race. Right. So, w- what do you take away from this race? This one compared you know, to others. To me, it, it's well. I guess I don't I don't know that it's that much different than the others, but it's just the whole experience. It's it's definitely a bigger experience than going to McGrath. Um, but but to me, it's not even. Uh, you know the records don't really mean that much, and 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 winning the race is nice. It's kind of a goal, but um, but it's just the experience that I had being out there on the trail. Um, you know, I I love the Iditarod Trail. I love the history of it, and I love that the history is is still being um, you know still being written every year out there on it, and uh, um, and I love being a part of that, and I got so much so much support from people on the trail and you know people on snow machines that are just running from one village to the next would stop and and we'd stop and you'd chat for a few minutes and um it's just a it's kind of a valuable experience you can't really uh you can't get that in a lot of other places um and you and you come into villages and there's people that they kind of know what you're doing and they kind of think you're a little bit crazy but they're just more than willing to help you in any way that they can and I had so much of that this year um, that, that that that's really the thing that I take away from it. Yeah, it sounds like a – I can just imagine going from, you know, stopping at a checkpoint and they're, okay, what do you need, you know, soup or food or whatever you need, and it's kind of like, whoa, cool. <laughs> I can it'd be cool. It's, yeah, that's that's exactly it. I, like I had a drop bag that I couldn't locate in Uniloquit and the – the 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 one restaurant there. It's one of the few villages along the route that actually has a restaurant, and uh, it wasn't open. And I wasn't sure what to do. It was like seven o'clock Sunday night, and uh, 
I'm just kind of standing in the road trying to decide what to do. I need I need food. My drop. I'm out of food on my bike. I'm almost out, and I need my drop bag. And I can't reach the person who has it, supposedly. And uh, you know, somebody pulled up on a four wheeler, and I asked what was going on and what what I needed, and I told them my situation, and they point me to a house to go knock on the door, and they're <laughs> like, you know, that's the guy that owns the restaurant, and I bet he'll help you out, and. You know, I knock on his door, and, like, within 15 minutes, I'm sitting there with a big plate of food, and he's on the phone trying to locate my drop bag, and and I ended up being in, in Uniloquit for less than an hour and a half. Um, you know, and I arrived there with, with no plan and one phone number to contact and nobody answering that phone. And it's just, it's kind of incredible the way stuff came together out there. Hmm. So let's switch gears a little bit. Pun intended. Um, you had mentioned, you know, earlier that the difference, the changes in equipment and bikes and all that stuff kind of, even the last few years kind of just, I guess, blew up. Um, talk about it, what you've seen and how you, I guess you're on a, talk about your bike, you know, just what it is. And then, uh, I want to get your take on how your thoughts on how it's changed. Um, well, I'm on a I'm on a fatback Corvus. It's uh it's Greg's new um new carbon 190 frame. Um, so it's a it's a great ride. I I've been riding it so heavily loaded since I got it. I've probably got um and now probably have about 1,500 miles on it. And uh, I can't wait to get it out on some trails without everything <laughs> on it. Because um, it's 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 kind of a drag to be on this really light super high-performance bike and have it just loaded down with weight. Um, so, I mean, that's what I, I used for the race. I used 100-mil um, clown shoe rims. Um, I, you know, I think heading out to Nome, I don't think you can have too much wheel and tire because you're going to have a big range of conditions. You know, retrospectively, I wish I was on some lighter carbon hoops. But you don't know that going in, and that's if I was starting the race again right now, I'd be on hundred mil rims. Um, it's just it's kind of that simple. When you need them, you really need them. Okay. Um, you know, I, I've been on a fatback since I think 2006, the end of 2006 maybe, um, 2007, something like that. I did the I did the, I did a sport and I did the ITI twice on on snowcat bikes and. Uh, it's the gear has changed. It's changed the nature of, of that, that race a lot. Um, you know, back when everybody was on snowcat bikes, there was so much of the trail that was unrideable or it was so slow to ride that it was really a kind of a more of a go without sleep contest that you'd, um, you'd, it didn't matter if you were going slow as long as you were still going. You know, if you're walking or pushing your bike, riding your bike at three and a half miles an hour, you're going faster than somebody that's sleeping and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and the, the, you know, the fat bike has really changed that. Um, and that you can ride some trail fast. And so it brings a lot more strategy into the race and, and, you know, ride versus rest, trying to time those things right. Because a couple hours sleep can, can improve your performance a lot. Um, so it's, it's now a lot more of a, a balancing act to try and to get that right amount of rest so that you can you can ride the trail as fast as it'll it'll permit um versus 
versus just be out there in a sort of zombie-like state, um, pushing your bike or, or riding it very slowly, which was sort of the way I think of the, at least was my experience in the, in the, the snowcat days out there. Um, you know, when the trails were good, snowcats are fine. Mm-hmm. You can ride a good trail fast on them, lighter, lighter wheel weight and better speeds, less less effort. But so much of that trail is is not good by snowcat standards um, most years. Um, mm. This this year would be the exception to that. Okay. And what do you think about the carbon? Is that a, that's a, a game changer too, or is it really not necessary for fat bikes? Um, you know, I don't... I, I don't think, um, I guess that depends on what your interests are and where you're coming from. Okay. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of titanium bikes. I like the ride of a tie bike for, especially on, um, um, you know, all day rides. If you're on a bike for 12 or 14 or 16 hours or multiple days, anything that can take a little bit of edge off is nice. Um, I, I was, you know, that said that the carbon saves you a couple pounds, um, the performance is there, and you know I didn't find the I haven't found the the uh, the Corvus to be harsh at all. Um, I I do some things to soften up the ride on all my bikes. I did it on my tie bikes. I do it on my carbon bikes. Um, so I'm I'm, I'm I guess I just say I'm really happy with with that. I, I think it's stiff enough. It's, it saves a couple pounds. Mm-hmm. It's stiff enough that it feels snappy, accelerates really well, but it doesn't. It doesn't really translate to, um, you know, me getting getting sore or feeling fatigued from uh, from the harshness of it. So I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, I, I just think carbon carbon bikes have come quite a ways in, over the years too. Yeah, and I just ask you because you're somebody that has, I mean, more experience than probably 99.9 of percent of other fat bikers and. You know, there's still the haters. There's still people who are like, oh, you know, I don't need that. Well, you know, if you do, you do, and if you don't, you don't. So exactly, yeah, it's it's a personal preference thing. Um, I, you know, I was originally skeptical of the durability of them, just just like a lot of people are. I did this the Colorado Trail race two times on a on a carbon twenty nine er, and I was skeptical of it before I did it, and kind of got talked into trying it, and that's a pretty hard race it you know it abuses a bike more than more than most other races do and you know you're kicking big rocks up off of your down tube kind of constantly in it and bike made it through fine i don't know how many crashes (laughs) um you can break any any frame or damage any frame if you crash wrong on it so i don't think there's anything to the idea that there's an inherent weakness to carbon as a as a frame material, I I think that's been discounted long ago. Yep, yep. I, I see it. You know, from from my perspective, I actually I put on a couple races, and I've seen it just from a perspective of it seemed in the in the shorter rate, you know, like a cross country or a little bit shorter endurance type of ride. It seems like it's the ability to just lighten up the bike allows you to mess with the tire pressure some more. It, it allows you to really dial in you know, to, to less, to, to more dial in the, the ride and not have to worry about it, you know, a few extra pounds to, to mess yep. with. So. Yep. I, I think I agree with that completely. Um, you know, and the shorter the ride, the even, even more sense it makes, I guess, cause, cause there is a little bit more snappiness to, 
to uh, I think most carbon frames. Yeah. Um, and and I've ridden some that that I I don't necessarily love the harshness of, but that's just the nature of the rides that I'm doing. If you're if you're sticking to mostly shorter, you know, more conventional riding, that's not necessarily a negative. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah. So I'm, I I don't you know if people's opinions are all over the place, and if somebody loves steel, that's great. That's what they should ride. I mean, we're just we're just doing this for fun. So <laughs> yeah. Um, yep. Cool. So whatever whatever people are into. So I have a, I want to ask you, you know, if somebody's thinking about doing any any type of something, not necessarily riding a gnome, but you know, maybe like uh JP's backyard fat pursuit, two hundred K or doing, you know, something along those lines, what other than going out and exper- you know, going out and just experimenting a lot, what were what would be like three tips that you would have for people to consider when they're, you know, getting into that? Um, I mean, if you're, if you're talking about like tips for long winter rides, you know, probably, I guess the the big thing would be, um, you know, get yourself mentally ready for something that's, that's pretty difficult. You know, don't, don't let yourself be surprised when it's hard. Um, because riding on snow can be hard sometimes. Um, so, so maybe, uh, I, I spend a lot of time kind of focusing on how difficult it could be. Um, you know, you, you kind of prepare for it to be bad and hope for it to be good. Um, and then, uh, you know, kind of going right along with that, I guess, would be to, to be patient, you know. Um, sometimes trails are bad and, and they'll they'll get better. You know, sometimes just... Um, you know, if it's a warm day, trails can get bad in the afternoon, but just be patient because maybe it'll cool off at night, get the sun off it, and it, it might set up hard and be fast. Um, and and so in, in something that long or, you know, multi-day, um, that's that's pretty important in uh, keeping, a, keeping a good attitude, whether, whether conditions are good or bad, and then just spend as much time as you can on the bike beforehand getting – you know, getting your body used to um, being in that position, not even necessarily training to ride fast, but just making sure that your, you know, your contact points are dialed in and that the bike fits you well and um, and you're ready to do it. I don't know if that was that was three points. Yeah, that's or... that's good. I think that's a good takeaway for people to uh, to consider. So yeah. So, but these these, one... these things are. They're they're more mental than they are physical. I mean, you have to be in in decent shape to do really well in them. But if your goal is to finish, you just have to be in in pretty good shape. You know, you have to have a few miles in, but you don't have to be screaming fast. The rest of it's just mental and sticking sticking with it. Yeah, it's it's a hard thing for a lot of a lot of people. I, I think most people can do it. They just don't know, and they've never tried. Yeah. So I think probably you know probably that's probably true with um you know most, at least most people that that are capable of riding a bike on on dirt you know for a long period of time they could transition to riding on snow um, and, and accomplishing something pretty big if they put their mind to it. Yeah. So what do you have? What's on tap for next? Because there's always next, right? What's next? So what's what's, uh, what's next for you? I don't know. Um, you know, I I the way my my uh, lifestyle's worked out lately. 
I don't have tons of time to ride in the summer anymore. I work a lot. I travel a lot. Um, I ride when I can. Um, someday I'm going to do the Tour Divide. I don't, I don't know. That's not going to be this year for sure, but I'd love to do that someday. Uh, it's kind of, a, I guess in my mind, it's the last big race that I haven't done yet. Um, uh, I don't have a lot of definitive plans for a race and other than that. Um, I'll, uh, I'll be going to either McGrath or Nome next year. I don't know which one. We'll just, just see what happens. Yeah. Sounds like from your description, you might, you might want to hang in McGrath this time <laughs> or next time. <laughs> it's so much fun. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I love that race. It's, it's, uh, you know, that's the one that, that typically it's got more competition in it, you know, mm-hmm. you're, especially the last couple of years, Kevin Breidenbach's come on, Tim Burnson, um, is an incredible rider. Um, you know, JP's up here for that one a lot, Pete Bassinger, um, most of those guys are going to, to McGrath and it gets addictive racing there. It's fun. It's hard. It's fun. And then you hang out there afterwards, um, and tell stories and, you know, eat incredible food, um, at Peter and Tracy's house there at the finish line. And it's just, it's really a highlight. Um, but, but gnomes, gnomes, a pretty unique thing to do. So I don't know. We'll see what happens next year. All right. Cool. So we'll, uh, I think we'll check back with you, maybe uh, depending on what you're going to be doing, maybe check back with you before the start and after the start next year. If it works out, then I think it'd be great. Uh, that sounds good to me. Cool. Appreciate it. All right, cool. And, you know, we'll get, uh, like we had you know, discussed beforehand too, we'll, we'll have to get Heather on here soon to get her, uh, her perspective from uh, doing a pretty fast ride in McGrath. Yeah, I think that'd be I think that'd be pretty cool. cool. I'd like to hear it. <laughs> yeah, hear hear your wife's perspective of dragging you along at certain points. Is that what you're? Uh, <laughs> I yeah, yeah, I get her perspective to me, but I'd like to hear her perspective to everybody else too. Yeah, perfect. See if they're the same or not. Yeah, I, I'm interested in hearing her perspective. So we'll we'll get her on soon, and uh, we'll see how it goes. So cool. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. I Thanks. appreciate it. And. Uh, I appreciate everyone listening. This has been another episode of the Ride Fat Bike Show on Mountain Bike Radio.